Here's what's coming up on today's show. A bond fund is not mature. So if it's down 15% in value, you're only earning 4% on it. It might realistically take you four, five, six years just to get your money back. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. It's Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart and myself here to talk investing, finance, and retirement. And we're going to talk about bonds this week as the big portion of the show, how bonds work, what retirees need to know. And we're going to get into that as our main section. We'll do an email question as usual and talk about this article I wanted to bring up to you, Mike. Uh, First of all, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing excellent. It's what the all Hallows season, right? Uh, right. October football, Halloween. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. Thank you for not saying pumpkin spice. And if you like the pumpkin spice, (laughs) no offense, but I'm pumpkin spice. Although I did see something disturbing yesterday uh, in the, um, in the, in the, I guess the food oddities of, of the October month, it was candy corn bratwurst for your tailgating needs. And I thought for your football game, and I thought, ugh, tailgate. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass on that. Big yeah. candy corn fan. Even the pumpkins are good too, but yeah, not, candy, not for my bratwurst. No, so. candy corn and your bratwurst? Ugh, what's wrong with people? So anyway, that was the that was the weird one I saw for this go around. Hey, uh, let me ask you about this question here. We'll get into the finance stuff, Mike. Uh, why Most Investors Fail is an article that came out from the American Institute for Economic Research. Uh, the goal of investing is obviously buy low, sell high. And I guess the article really just kind of spends its time talking about why so few of us do this. And you and I have had many conversations on this. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times it just comes down to behavior, you know, so especially in a market like we're going through here in 2022, you know, I kind of chalk it up to a few things, fear, greed, and speed, you know, all, all three speed? of them. So, okay. you know, it's, yeah, speed, speed as well. So I'll, I'll kind of break down those three for you. So uh, on the greed side of it, mm-hmm. you've got individual investors, especially the last five or 10 years when the markets have been on fire, whether it's IPOs or crypto or technology and that individual investors, they, that's when they invest, right? It feels good. They don't want to miss out. So they're kind of greedy being like, well, look at all these other people making money, <laughs> right. but then they make mistakes at the wrong time. You know, they're, they're throwing money in at market highs rather than being a little more strategic. On the fear side, you also get what's going on this year, which is as soon as things start to roll over, they're looking for the exits. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Why? Because they're concerned about loss. You know, it's, it's the loss aversion side. But the thing is like, so Dalbar, we talk about it every now and then on the podcast, Dalbar does a study called the QAIB, the Qualitative uh, Analysis of Investor Behavior. And basically it takes rolling 20-year periods and says, okay, what the markets do, what bonds do, and what did the average investor do? And the QAIB for here recently came out and said, okay, the market over the last 20 years has averaged you know, around 6 7%, and the average investor has averaged about 2.3%. And you're saying, well, how could that possibly be if people have more than half their money in the market? And the reality is it's because of the decisions that they're made. Mm -hmm. Because in in order to be a successful investor, you've got to understand not just finance, accounting, economics, but also psychology. People lack the self-control. And I'll give you an example of the last few years is last year, the market was up about 27%. And if we look at the S&P 500, kind of the broad market, in 2020, even after the COVID crash, it was up 16%. In 2019, it was up about 30%. In 2018, we had a sell-off at the end of the year when the Fed was going to raise rates, and it was down around 8%. 
But that's still a really nice run going into 2022. And yeah, year to date, we're down a little over 20% or so at this time. But the thing is, that's still been an amazing run. But the first thing, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, when people start seeing, you know, kind of the losses mount up in the portfolio and they're concerned, they start making short-term decisions with long-term money. And that's one of the reasons why the article points out why most investors fail. They make short-term decisions with long-term money. The reality is for many of our retired clients, you know, this isn't money that they need tomorrow and three years from now and five years from now. This has to last them 20 years of retirement, you know, so we can't really be so focused on the the ultra short term that we lose sight of the goals that we've actually been saving for. No, you're right on with that. My brother is going to be retiring within less than 12 months. And uh, yeah, he every you know every day or every other day he's like, oh, they're killing me! Look what they're doing to me! And I'm like, you can, you, you're you're thinking about this as money that you're going to use next in, next year, and you're not, right? You know, it's like some of the mm-hmm. stuff some of the stuff you're looking at is going to be later in your retirement years. So yeah, you're right on with that. Uh, so it's a good article. We'll put a link to it um, in the show notes as well if you'd like to check it out. But for now, let's go ahead and turn our attention, Mike, into how bonds work. As I mentioned earlier, that's going to be the main focus this week on the podcast. Too many of us misunderstand bonds, um, how they work, what role they can play in a proper financial plan. But it's understandable right now because it's even it's weirder than usual. Uh, and I'm going to have you explain that a little bit because both you know the market and the bond market are down, and that's typically not the case. We typically see some sort of a seesaw, and that's because of the interest rates. I'm going to have you touch into all of that stuff. So uh, first of all. Because we are seeing such a big misunderstanding, can you give me a better breakdown of than what I just did on how bonds work for folks? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there, there's quite a few things on there. And, and you're 100% correct this year. Most people view the bond portion of their portfolio. This is whether it's individual bonds or bond funds. They view it as, you know, this is the where the safe money is. I'm not really looking for much of a return. This is just a buffer me when the markets go down. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen is this year, and it's the first time in 50 years that both stocks and bonds are both down double digits in a given year. And the reason why is if you think about it, when the market's on fire going up, who wants to be in these lowly bonds that are only paying you, you know, four or 5% interest or something? Right. And then you want to be in the market. And then when the market's falling in free fall, well, then everybody wants to be in the safer stuff. They want to be in bonds. So typically in a market like we're going through right now, when the stock market's down 20 30%, all of a sudden bonds rise and they're actually making you a little bit of money in addition to the interest. But usually when the market's falling apart, the Fed's actually cutting interest rates. They're not raising interest rates. But because of where inflation is and kind of the response to COVID and all the stimulus and that, the Fed's aggressively raising interest rates at the fastest pace in history this year. And what does that mean? That means that's not good for bonds. So now bonds are down double digits, stocks are down double digits, and there's almost like no safe place to hide. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of times people don't realize just how big the bond market is too, correct? Like it's double the size or almost double, isn't it, of the stock market? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So there's more, when a lot of people talk about the markets, you know, and talk about bond markets, they call the bond market the smart money Mm -hmm. because it's so much larger than the stock market in general. And it tends to move well before the stock market does. Ah, So it kind of forecasts things out there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Can you break down the difference for us then between a bond fund and an individual bond? Yeah, this is huge. So anybody listening, make sure you got pen and paper handy here, because if this year shows you a difference between owning an individual bond and owning bond funds, this is going to be the year on whether you should be a little bit concerned about what's going on right now, mm-hmm. or whether you should say, you know what, I think I'm going to be okay. And and, and I'll kind of go a little wonky on these explanations. <laughs> okay. But in a bond, an individual bond has five main parts. 
You got a par value, but that means it's issue price. So if it's a $10,000 bond, then it pays interest on $10,000. It has a coupon or the yield, how much interest you get. It's got a credit rating. You know how financially strong the company is. It has a maturity date. That's when you get your money back. So assuming they haven't defaulted, gone out of business, right? They were a good company, good investment. Then when do you get your money back? And then they have a price is what could you buy or sell it for today? So price would be the current market price, and that fluctuates daily up and down. Now, a bond fund only has one of these five parts that you actually have control over, and that's price. What are you paying for that bond fund? When I took my securities license, the definition of a bond fund is a stock of a fund that owns bonds. You don't own the individual bonds when you own a bond fund. You own a fund that owns the bonds. So there is no par value. The yield can change because the manager buys and sells bonds all the time. You don't control the credit rating. The manager does. And there is no maturity date because mutual funds and ETFs, they don't mature. So the only way to get your money out of a bond fund, mm -hmm. and this includes ETFs, is to sell your shares in the bond fund, which means that you really only have one of those five things that you were hoping to get, and that's price. And here's why that's critical that you understand the difference as an investor between owning individual bonds and bond funds. So I'm going to take this year as an example, because we use a lot of individual bonds in our portfolio. The bond indexes are down about 15%, right? Worst year in bond market history. If you own individual bonds, you're okay. Why? Let's say on January 1st, you had $100,000 in those face value, par value, your bonds, and they were paying you 4%. And let's say they matured in five years. So I said the bond market's down about 15%. So now in October, you look down at your statement, you see those $100,000 of bonds on your statement are only worth $85,000. They're down that 15%. Do you panic? No. Why not? Since you own the individual bonds, you're still getting interest on that par value. You're still earning interest on the $100,000. On the 100000 Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So you're getting 4% interest on the 100000 not on the eighty five dollars that's on your statement. So if you were taking income off this portfolio, you're still getting the $4,000 that you were at the beginning of the year. And when they mature in a few years, you get your $100,000 back. So, you know, assuming no default and all that. Sure. Now let's, now let's say January 1st, you owned a bond fund for $100,000, also paying about 4% at the time. Now in October on your statement, it's worth $85,000. Do you panic? Maybe. Because the only thing that you're assured to get on that is whatever the interest and dividends that that bond fund pays and you have no control over it. A bond fund does not mature. Yeah. So if it's down 15% in value, you're only earning 4% on it. It might realistically take you four, five, six years just to get your money back. Yeah, very true. Great analogy. Well, not even an analogy, but just explaining how it works um, to help folks out understand that difference. I was talking with somebody not too long ago, and they're like, I think of it like a kiddie pool. When somebody does something in the kiddie pool, that's the uh, the bond funds, it affects everybody in the pool. <laughs> I, was yeah, like, I, agree. I was like, okay, that's a, that's a stark way to put that. But yeah, it definitely affects everyone. So good way of breaking that down for us here as we're talking about how bonds work. Uh, how often, Mike, do you see people who are invested in bonds and maybe don't know it? I, I, is that a thing? Uh, it's not really as much of a thing as it, as it is, because if they know that there's bonds, they may not know what a bond is, but they know that they got something like they got that in some, the portfolio. Okay. Yeah, the broker said, hey, I put you in this fund because it's less risk or something. But what 2022 has shown people is that what they thought was a low risk investment can carry potential double digit losses if they don't pay attention to the direction of interest rates and inflation. Mm -hmm. And that's why we prefer the individual bonds over the bond funds. And it's not to say on occasion, you know, a lot of times we, we might use funds for international bonds because there's some currency issues and some trade um, and, you know, things going on, but we don't use bond funds. 
And it's saying that, you know, if any time that you have an opportunity to use the individual securities, assuming that the portfolio is large enough to minimize some of the risks, you actually want to have a diversified portfolio laddered out of individual bonds rather than bond funds. Yeah, it seems like there'd be more room for someone to not understand the type of bond fund they're in versus the individual. So like for mm-hmm. that question, you know, stating, it, you know, do people not realize what they have? It's probably more in the fund department. Um, okay, how are bond values related to the interest rates? We kind of already touched on that, but just again, just to kind of succinct it back up. Yeah, so if you think of bond values, like your principal, right? You've got your principal and your interest rates. It's kind of like a teeter-totter. On the left seat, you've got interest rates. And on the right seat, you got your principal, or basically what the market value of it is. If rates stay flat, then that teeter-totter is level, kind of horizontal. Now, if rates rise, like in 2022 here, then something has to give, which means that the principal or market value drops. So the higher the rates rise, the lower the market value goes down. The same is true when rates inevitably go back down, then the market values will start to rise, right? So as interest rates come down, then the principal starts going back up. So since the Fed's aggressively and kind of quickly raised rates four times already this year, so far, that's why you've seen this precipitous decline in the market values of those bonds. Yeah, I was taught to think of it this way for a simple rhyme. When rates are high, bonds die. When rates Mm -hmm. are low, bonds grow. Yeah, and, that, and that's, a, that's a good way to put it because what happens is, and people say, well, why, if you know, if I'm going to get my money back at maturity, why would I possibly be in a position that you know I could lose value on here? Mm-hmm. You know, if if all this is good, especially on individual bonds. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the reality, if you think about it, let's say you know the why of why the market value drops when rates rise. Let's say you have a five-year bond that pays you three percent. Now the Fed's jacked up rates, and now new rates are four percent. So someone's not going to pay you a dollar to earn 3% when that same dollar can earn 4%. So that's why the value of the bond drops to kind of make it even. Well, you know, the traditional approach, Mike, has always been like a 60-40 or something. And we start to move to bonds, right? These are the traditionalisms. As we age, as we get closer to retirement, is that still a safe conservative strategy? Because a lot of people still kind of adhere to that traditionalism. They think that's what they should be doing. Is that the case in a year like 2022 when it's pretty wonky? Yeah, in 2022, there's a couple different things. Now, you know, as, as with everything in your portfolio toolbox, stocks, bonds, annuities, precious metals, crypto options, whatever it happens to be, you need to know what you own, why you own it, and how it's going to perform in good markets and bad, rising rates, declining rates, high inflation, low inflation. The thing that surprised people about the bonds is that we've been in a 40-year declining interest rate environment. So going back from the early 80s through 2021, basically rates have been coming down and basically sitting down between zero and 2%. So most people haven't seen what rising rates and high inflation can do to bond values in the short term. That's true. Yeah, I know. We've been talking with clients on, you know, let's say we can get 5% on our bonds, right? Great rate. You know, we want the cash flow on that, but we still have concerns about maybe economically where we are as a recession on the horizon, those kind of things. Or if we can't get the credit quality of bonds that we want, then sometimes what we'll do is we'll say, okay, are there any other insured alternatives? You know, like there's things like they call fixed annuities right now. You know, I call them a CDN steroids. You know, they're not issued by, uh, they're not insured by the FDIC, but they're insured and, you know, guaranteed by the insurance company. And on there, so right now, a three and five year rate are usually around four to 5% right now. So if you're thinking I could get 5% of my bonds with some risk, you can give it to an insurance company and get four to five percent with no risk to your principal. You know, so there are some alternatives that are out there if the timeline makes sense for clients. 
Yeah, yeah, it's kind of staggering to think about that forty years, right? I mean, based on you and I's age, you know, we're, I'm sitting here going, "Oh, oh wow!" <laughs> it really, it <laughs> yeah, really, we were in junior high last time. Uh, yeah, know, right. It's yeah. like, what in the world? So, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, anything else that I I didn't uh, touch on that you want to share with uh, with listeners about bonds before we move into the email? Yeah, we talk with clients about what we call the disease of ease, and you see it a lot with bond funds. And what that just means is advisors really don't want to put in the legwork. So what they do is they're like, okay, well, what's the easiest way to give you a bond exposure? Let me just check a box, throw you in this bond fund. And they don't even know what's in it. So uh, you know, my recommendation, whether it's with us or somebody else, is work with an advisory firm that attempts to use individual bonds instead of bond funds, at least for the fixed income part of your portfolio. It'll just give you peace of mind when you go through volatile periods in both stock and bond markets right now, knowing that even if values are down, your income stays the same. And at some point at maturity, you get your principal returned as well. All right. Well, there you go. So great conversation about bonds. Very enlightening. Hopefully you found that useful and helpful when it comes to this topic. And of course, as always, if you have some questions about your strategy, your portfolio, what you have, so on and so forth, whether you're working with Mike or you're not, and you want that, of course, if you're working with him, you already know, but even if you still do have an opinion or a question uh, and you want to get some answers, reach out to Mike and his team. Either way, you can find them online at crystallaketax.com. That is crystallaketax.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast as well if you choose to do so on Apple, Google, Spotify, and all that good stuff. And if you'd like to, while you're at the website, drop us an email as well. That's what we're going to do to wrap up the show this week. And we've got one from Charlotte. She's in Atlanta. So she's down in the south there a little bit with a question for you. Uh, So her temperatures are better than yours right now. (laughs) She says, hey, Mike, I'm 60 and I'd love to retire. And I think I probably can. But it feels like and seems like everybody I know waits till they're 65 or 66. Is it a bad, bad idea or irresponsible to retire early? Yeah, Charlotte, that's a great question. It's one that we come across uh, all the time. So, you know, where that magic 65, 66 comes in for most is because that's the age, usually around 66-ish, where they can start taking Social Security without taking a haircut by having claimed it early. So, you know, that's kind of where, you know, if you look across the United States, that's kind of why that's about the average retirement, independent of what somebody saved or not. You know, for you, Charlotte, specifically, it's how much income do you need? Because if you've saved enough in your, you know, your individual joint accounts, trust accounts, if you have a pension, if you've, you know, saved a million, two million dollars, whatever it happens to be, what level of income do you need from all these different sources? And if you can generate that level of income without spending through any principal, then there's no reason why you should have to wait till 65 or 66 or 70 in some cases. You know, so what's important is, you know, how big a people, who should wait. If Social Security is going to be a really large part of your income, it's going to be 50, 60, 80% of your guaranteed income. Well, then, yeah, you might need to wait. Why? Because you need that benefit, that lifetime benefit to be a much larger amount. But if you take a look at your finances and you say, you know what, I really don't need a whole lot of, you know, Social Security is nice. It'll be there for about a quarter, maybe 30% of, you know, what my total retirement spending is going to be because of the other savings that you have in IRAs and 401ks, those kind of things. Then all of a sudden, that just gives you more options, and 60 or 62 might be something for you. And here's a good example. So we just had a client come in last week that similar questions. Uh, she was 61, okay. had saved about $2 million, and she said, I need about an extra $80,000 a year of supplemental income because I can't turn on Social Security you know, for another year or two. And even then, I don't know if I want to take the reduction in it. So we said, okay, you know, based on how we manage with individual bonds and fixed income and dividend-paying stocks... If we could get you a 4% cash flow off of that $2 million, meaning from interest and dividends alone, you know, let the market take care of itself later, 
we can generate eighty dollars to $100,000 of interest and dividends off the portfolio without ever selling anything or touching a penny of principal. And that generated the income she needs, that gave her permission to spend, and it gave her permission to retire independent of when she takes Social Security. So, so Charlotte, for you, it's really a function of saying, okay, here's what I've saved, how much income can I get off of it, and is that going to provide the lifestyle and retirement that I'm looking for? And if so, then you got options. If, if not, well, then they may have to do a couple things, you know, work a couple more years longer, save a little bit more. Uh, but it sounds like if you're even thinking about it, you're probably in the right spot. All right, folks. Well, make sure that you are taking advantage of uh, the resource that is Michael Stewart and the team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Again, if you've got questions like Charlotte's and you need some help, reach out to them at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com, and that way you don't have to have uh, candy corn bratwurst for dinner. <laughs> so that would not be good. Mike, thanks for hanging out, my friend, and explaining this week's topics. I certainly appreciate it. Always good to talk to you, Mark. Have a great day. Absolutely. And we'll be back with more here later in the month of October here on the Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart, founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Store. The Retirement Income Store and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are associated entities.